Stephanie, although she was in the band, you know, both hours of staying for round two, I think maybe I wasn't very clear in the first hour, so I'm going to make it all make sense this time. It's good to see all of you. And look, one of the things I love about this place is that, uh, you know, especially with our local community that's here, uh, is that there's so many professionals all over the community that are in here on Sunday mornings. And so it's just cool to, to be with everybody that we're going through life with, you know, every day. And if you're a guest with us throughout town or something, I mean, you should just love being here and being with the people that are making the town happen, making the things that you love play out. I think it's just, I love it. It's fun to be up here and be part of that. Um, thinking back this week over those Easter memories as a kid. I grew up in the Methodist church. I don't know if some of you may have done that. Something a little more, uh, uh, not, it wasn't high church, but there were a lot of robes and that kind of thing. Uh, in my in my experience growing up, and I remember uh, we always had to dress up. And I was thinking back, I saying, you know, I'm so thankful today for cotton and merino wool, <laughs> because for some reason your mom wants to put merino, I mean, wool on you, you know, a real tight wool something when you're a little guy. I'm like, oh, this is terrible. Like, it didn't make church that great that day for me. But thankfully, we're beyond those days, right? I did notice there is one family here who has an entire row. To themselves, the Duryea family, ladies and gentlemen. Good job. I think uh, when all the kids have spouses, they're going to take up like a section. The Duryea section or balcony. Duryea balcony. You know, you've got a whole row as well. All right. Well, you guys can take it to the bike racks afterwards. So this this is a big big day for believers, people who are followers of Jesus, obviously. But there, there are two reasons that for that. And the reason we say believer is that there are two propositions that believers have taken hold of and made their own. Two propositions I want to share with you what those are. One is that there is a person, there is a person who is God who can die a substitutionary death for you and me. That's one proposition. There is a God who is man who could take our place, die substitutionary death. That's one proposition. The second proposition is this, that there is, that, that was proven by resurrection. These are two really big things to believe. And if you are a believer in here, you've, you've crossed that threshold. You've decided, okay, I do believe those things. Um, we're going to talk about those today. But what, what I want to encourage you to do as we walk through this as we walk through, we're going to look at the story of Thomas and John. And as we look at this, I want to ask you just to settle in, possibly to the person of John, as you hear the narrative unfold and hear what he was about and what was going on in his life. I want to just, I don't know how you approach Easter Sunday typically, but if you'll just um, try to identify with him for just a few minutes. Look through his eyes. Let me, let me set the stage um, for you just a little bit. Uh, John is going to bring us to this day after, this, this day of resurrection, by, by telling us a couple things that happened. And one of them is that Mary Magdalene is going to go to the tomb. You may remember that she goes and she sees Jesus and she mistakes him as the gardener or somebody who's working around these tombs. And so... She doesn't recognize him at first, and Jesus says, Mary. And when he says her name, she's like, oh my gosh, it's you. And she just grabs onto 
There's also a part in there where John describes, uh, I think it's Peter in, in the John who's writing, says, basically says they raced to the tomb that morning. I don't know if you remember that, but John kind of subtly says, and I beat Peter. <laughs> it's kind of funny how he describes that. I guess there was some competition there. If, you, if you've read much about Peter, you got to know he was a competitor. So John was probably completely wet, you know, done when he got there, but he won. So he wants us to know that. He wants us to hear that. And when we read this, you'll see Jesus says, he's, he sends Mary back to tell the disciples, hey, I'm alive. And they don't believe her. And then later that evening, Jesus appears to them. And when he does, Thomas is not there. Um, so let's read the passage. John 20, 24 through 28. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails, the place, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. And eight days later, Jesus' disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Uh, for each of us that is in here, we, we fall into a couple of buckets, maybe three buckets. There are those of you who are believers who your faith just doesn't get shaken. You are just absolutely confident. The winds of life come firm. I admire you. There are those of you who are, are more, maybe more like me. I'm somewhere in the middle where I have a deep and abiding faith. I really do believe. But almost like a tree that goes through uh, intense storms and, and the, the leaves get blown off and that kind of thing. There are times when I'm, I'm weighed down and I'm Concerned that, I, that this might not be right. I have this, my faith gets shaken a little bit. And so I struggle to believe those two propositions. I know they're true, but somehow they get obscured just a little bit. And then there are those of us who are, have, have not crossed that line of faith, who have not decided to believe yet. And, and this if you're here on, on a Sunday morning like this, I think that God has been working in your life to draw you in this direction. But as we, as we look at the, the experience that Thomas is going to have, I want to encourage you to, um, to take, to understand his position of doubt wherever you are and look at Jesus through his eyes for just a moment. I, uh, Three points that I'm going to make. As Thomas is trying to evaluate these propositions in his life, he goes through three stages, I guess you might say. One is advancement, one is requirement, and one is appointment. One is advancement, one is requirement, and one is appointment. So we're going to unfold this along those lines. And here's what I mean by advancement. That there is a process... For each of us that God is taking us through. 
that he is advancing, revealing himself to us over the course of our lives. There, is, there are things that have happened with us that he has been doing, and they're hard to, to, uh, to disagree with or to, um, to set aside. Let me, let me give you an example. Like, uh, have you ever looked at Mount Crested Butte from a different angle? I'm sure you have. If you've seen it from like 401, it looks like one thing. And then if you come around, say, to uh, Red Lady or Open Joyful Creek and you look back down at it, it looks different, right? And if, if you work your way around and you look at it from town, it's different. From Buckhorn, it's different. If you get down to like Brush Creek Road, you know, the lower part of Brush Creek, that's like, you don't realize how great a mountain it is when you're back there. It just looks kind of, it's just not that impressive. But when you come back out to your creek, you're like, oh my gosh, that is awesome, right? I think over time, God has been working in each of our lives to show himself, to advance himself in our lives and showing himself from different perspectives. But here's the deal. Occasionally, that mountain is clouded in fog or clouds or something like that, right? And you're like, wait a second. I think there's something substantial there, but I'm really not sure. And so I'm struggling. This is, this is what my life is like. I don't know about you, but this is how it goes for me. I know there is a beautiful thing there, an unbelievable thing there, but it's covered up and you can't see it and you're struggling. God is advancing his, uh, presenting himself to us like that. See, Thomas walked with Jesus through all kinds of stuff, right? He's, he, from the beginning, Thomas is one of his disciples. He's slept outside with him. He's crossed these lakes, you know. He's seen Jesus heal people. He's seen Jesus... Uh, confront the powers that be in the day. Jesus fulfill what the Hebrew scriptures said the Messiah would be like. Things that would confirm for him that first part, that thing that there is a Messiah, someone who would, because that means someone who would die in our place. So Thomas has seen all of that stuff. This process has been happening. But he has a really good reason to doubt. Because everything was going great. Remember at the Last Supper, the disciples are together, they're having a great time. And suddenly Jesus gets really serious. And the next day, he's hanging on a cross in the most horrible way somebody can die in those days, publicly. So he has a really good reason that the clouds have come over the reality of what he believes. Right? We can understand that. He has a good reason. There's a, his, the, the person he's been following is dead. But I wonder if for... For Thomas, if perhaps he was so caught up in the moment and all the things that were happening that he forgot to look back, or he didn't look back and see the advancement that Christ had been revealing himself in the way that Jesus had been revealing himself to him over time. He was so caught up in that moment that he didn't see what God had been doing. And he forgot. He forgot to look. He was so focused on that. On the events that caused him to doubt that he didn't see what God had been doing. Have you been in that place? And there's something pretty significant about what happens. You know, Jesus shows up, and he's in the room with these guys that evening. In verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. <coughs> I mean, I understand why Thomas might not have been there. He might have been angry at what was happening. His life just got turned upside down. In that way, I really uh, resemble the way uh, probably Thomas would have uh, responded because when things don't go my way, I mean, I want to be in control. I want things to be my way. 
And as a man, what I do is I, when it doesn't go my way, I'm like, I'm out of here. This conversation is over. Anybody, any of you women ever heard that? You're just subtly giggling because you don't want to cause some conflict. <laughs> but that's what I get. And guys, we do this, right? When it's not going my way, when I've really been hurt, when something is bad, I'm just out. And I think Thomas is doing that exact thing. He's not there. He's not with his friends. He's not surrounded by those guys who believe. <laughs> he wasn't there. He wanted to be in control, I think. Maybe deal with it on his own. But y'all, Jesus was there. Thomas wasn't there. See the problem? It wasn't that Jesus wasn't there. It's just that Thomas wasn't there when he was there. Um, I would propose to you that God is advancing this story, his revelation of himself to you, if you're in this room, over the course of your entire life. And if you go back, you can see points, these waypoints, to change the course, negatively or positively. Thomas is in one of those really serious moments. I wonder if you look back and try to think through and meditate on what are those things, where, those points in life where God is working and bringing you towards Him? Where are the places where I was absent? But I will say this if God shows up in your life, and you miss it because you're off rebelling, and, 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 that's, and I'm off. That's on me. Not, not on him. So there's this, this thing that's happening, this advancement of this progression of God revealing himself. And that's what Jesus has been doing this whole way through the, the ministry he's had and Thomas has been there. But then this point of requirement, what do I mean by that? Well, e each of the people that were his followers, even his closest followers, they had requirements that they had to see to believe that there was a real resurrected Jesus. And, and that, I think that God invites that. If you look at the scripture, you'll see, seek the truth, seek the truth. There, um, God in, it created us passionate, emotional, um, with, with brains to think so that we could engage with him around the truth. And I think that's a, a place that this, narrative is, is inviting us into. So we have these levels of requirement. Mary and the disciples had levels of requirement. So Mary goes, right, like I said, to the tomb, and John shares this earlier. She goes, and she doesn't recognize him, but when she hears his voice, there's something about his voice, this communication with her that she'd heard so many times before, and when she hears it, she's like, that's you. And if you read the story, I, th I think it's in the same place. She gets on him. She hugs him so tight that Jesus is like, okay. <laughs> he goes, let go. Read it for yourself sometime. So he says, back up. You're, you're, you're suffocating me. She's so excited about it. She believes. For the disciples, right? She, Jesus says, hey, go tell my followers that I'm alive. So she goes, she goes running back. Presumably she beats Peter and John who missed this one. And they, she gets back. And she says, I saw Jesus, he's real. And do they believe her? No. They're like, sorry, your testimony is not enough for us to believe. Just because you said it, we don't believe. We're going to need more than that. And that's where later on it happens that Jesus is with them. But Thomas, you probably notice, has some really specific requirements 
for the threshold for him to believe. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, this is his list. I got to see his hands with my eyes. I got to see the marks of the nail. I got to place my finger in the marks of the nail and place my hand in his side. Do you remember there's a centurion who puts a spear in Jesus' side, so there presumably is a scar there that's pretty um, horrific, I guess. I'm going to put my hand in his side. If I don't, look at this last thing he says, I will never believe. It's a pretty strong statement. I will never believe. I wonder if there's some of us in here who had said that at one point, perhaps saying that even now. I will never believe. Testimony of his friends weren't enough. Sight wasn't enough. He had to touch this, these scars and actually, you know, physically touch Jesus. So what I want to encourage you to do, and myself as well, is to consider what your requirements are. It doesn't matter where you are in your faith journey. You have requirements that help you have confidence in that belief. What are the requirements? What does it has to happen for you to believe? What are, have you ever sat down and thought, okay, I'm, I'm just going to write this down. This is what has to happen. But I would challenge you with it or, or maybe um, remind you that you, you should be careful what you ask for because Thomas gets pretty specific and Jesus gets right to the heart of it. And, and I should say this. I mean, this is, a, this is an intellectual and a spiritual journey that we are all on because we are those things together, right? Uh, intellectual, spiritual, and emotional at least. But just to put a caveat on the end of it, my spiritual or intellectual disagreements with the reality of a one true God don't invalidate his reality. There are a lot of things that I can believe. You can believe things that aren't true. So I want to encourage you to, to make your list of requirements and let God deal with that with you. So God's advancing the story in each of our lives, showing us who Jesus is and what he means to us over time. Early or late in life, it doesn't matter. And there are requirements that the early disciples had, even as close as followers, and that we should have as well. And they're up to you. And, and thirdly, this idea of appointment. I think Jesus had a straight-up appointment to meet with Thomas. Now, Thomas didn't know that he had an appointment with Jesus, but Jesus knew. Look at, at verse uh, 28, 26. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside. Thomas was with them this time. The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And he goes straight to Thomas and he said to Thomas, put your, put your finger here and see my, see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. And I love this last little line. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Do not disbelieve, believe. We'll talk about that in just a moment. See, at the right time, Jesus goes to Thomas. Can you imagine what that interlude was like those eight days? I mean, I don't know if the disciples were like hanging out together, if they were holed up the whole time for fear of all the things that were going on. Because obviously, 
there might be some persecution. Their leader had just been crucified, and now there was all this talk about him coming to life and what's going on. So they're at least on this night hiding out, and who knows what the interaction has been with them. But here they are, and Jesus appears. And I think this is one of the coolest, most, the greatest example of the humility of Christ that, you could, that I can imagine. Because he goes in, and what it says, he says to all of them, peace be with you. And then he goes straight to Thomas, and he goes through this process with him, right? Now, Thomas is the guy who has basically said, I don't believe. He's the one guy who's not a team player. The girls who've seen him are on board. The women who are his his closest followers, the men are on board. Thomas is the one who has rejected. He is the one, and Jesus goes to him. What does that say to you and me? What does that tell us about him? He's gone to all these links for Thomas, and Thomas rejects it. And then when the, when the time comes for confrontation, Jesus goes straight to him. And, and did, did you see? I mean, you can just picture what that's like. I mean, they're locked in the room. They're kind of hiding out, right? That's the idea. So they probably have the windows covered if there were windows. The door is shut. And so it probably lamp lit, which we're not really used to, but that makes the room dim, right? It's probably you know, a a really dim scenario. And Jesus comes in. Have you ever been in one of those times where there's a real intense personal conversation going on with some friends or some people in the same room you're in, in your small room, and you're like really trying not to watch? You know what I'm talking about? You don't want to listen to that, but you just can't help it. All these people are like watching this thing happen because they know what Thomas has said, Right? And Jesus is right beside him, like within touching distance. And so they're all watching in the dim light. You can picture that situation. And Thomas must have just, you know, some big eyes evaluating what's going on. And then Jesus specifically responds to the requests. I mean, what a, what a moment of compassion and gentleness towards this person who was the doubter. You know, we know him as the doubter, but I think maybe we might want to know him as something different that that reflects this most valuable, you know? It's okay to doubt. It's okay to struggle. Jesus walks right into him and says, this is what you asked for. Here I am. Just touch and and know. And one one of the cool things about that right there is Jesus says, don't disbelieve but believe. If you've been here for a Sunday here and, here and there in the past few weeks, we've been talking about what Paul says from Galatians. And the whole message of the book of Galatians is you don't have to get right to be in relationship with God. Jesus does that for you, right? If you've been in here, we've said that like a whole bunch of times. This is the most incredible example of that right there. What could Thomas have done to clean himself up to get right with, with Jesus? Could he have done anything? Hold on, Jesus. I'm going to unlock the door and go out and get myself right and ask for forgiveness and kind of deal with all the things I'm doing or have done or anything like that. It's, It's right there. Jesus, it's only about this, Thomas. The whole threshold for you to know me is just to believe. And I I love how Jesus says, please, I, I think. He's not pleading with Thomas. But he obviously is very concerned. And so he says, Thomas, don't disbelieve, 
but believe. Take the step of belief. That's the only thing between me and you. And you know what's cool about that too is that even in the presence of Jesus, Jesus has totally proven himself, met all the requirements that Thomas had. Thomas could still have disbelieved. He could still have rejected that. So if you want to be empowered and you don't want to feel like the church is you know, making you do stuff or your family or anybody else, just be sure that Jesus is not making you do anything. He's presenting the truth to you. You have asked for this truth because, because you're smart, intellectual people, and you know that if there is one true God, you need to be in relationship with him. I know that too. If that's true, we need to evaluate it. And if you say no, okay, this is a place where we see we have the privilege of saying no. He's not going to make us. He just offers it to us. We're offered the gift of, to believe and we can take it or not. And I love here in, uh, we didn't read this yet, but in verse 30, this is just a couple of verses later. This is John describing the reason for the whole book, but in particular, the very last bit of the story of Thomas. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. Thomas and all these guys saw these things, which I am not writing down for you. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I'm writing this story. I'm telling you this so you can see what happened with Thomas so that you could believe. And then I'm writing the whole story so that you will believe. You, and that includes us, many years down the road. Well, let me wrap up with uh, Thomas's response, which I think is pretty cool. Thomas believes. And the way we know it is in verse 28. He says, Thomas answered Jesus and he said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And that holds a lot of information right there, but real short. He says, my Lord. That means the person who is over me, who rules my life, whom I submit to, who is my Savior, Jesus you are my Lord. And then secondly, he says, you're my God. And when he says that, he is covering that whole concept of the first proposition. Is there someone who can substitutionarily take my place so that I can be in relationship with God? Yes, you are God. You are alive. I'm speaking to you. He covers all the propositions right there. And then the best part of it, though, is, is the little um, personal pronoun he puts right before that. Personal, prepositional. Thank you. I need a college age person to help me. I've been out of college just a couple of years. He says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. I mean, is he, is he being too forward, right? Mine? I mean, that's elevating himself pretty high. Like, you're mine, right? Jesus says, you're mine because I died for you. But at the same time, Thomas says, you're mine. You're my Lord and my God. It's very personal. It must have been this incredible moment to watch. I mean, can you just see that? My Lord and my God. That must have been powerful. But I think that's probably the result we should expect. From someone who has died for us. 
If someone is going to the length of dying for you and for me, we should expect to be in that relation. I mean, why would they go to that length? Unless we were being lifted up to the place of real relationship. I'll leave you with that thought. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for sending your son. And God, to believe is no small thing. It is no um, easy thing. At the same time, it is the only thing that you asked for from us. And, and I pray that whoever is in this room, wherever we are on our spiritual journey with you, whether it's struggling, non-existent, um, open, uh, progressing, wherever we are, I pray, Lord, we would lay out before you the things that will help us um, deepen our roots and, and weather the storms and, and perhaps even come to know you. Uh, thank you for your son. Thank you for the thing that we celebrate today. That he is alive. In his name, amen. All right, y'all have a great afternoon.